All right, everybody. I am here with my good friend Jonathan Rossi again on our podcast to talk about surcharging. How you doing, Jonathan? Doing very well, thanks. Thanks, James. Great to be back. Awesome. Well, you know, I thought we would start this one out since our uh, podcast listeners already know you, Jonathan. I thought we would start out and just jump right into the fray. Uh, obviously, you know, a lot's happened since the Visa Bulletin when the last time uh, you were interviewed here. And so I want to start with New York. I know that, you know, this is a huge market for agents and ISOs. Can you explain exactly what happened with this New York uh, surcharge law and kind of how you see this playing out, how it's kind of impacting the surcharging uh, marketplace? Yeah, certainly I can. And, and as you referenced, it's been a busy time, uh, yeah. very busy since the last time we connected. So great to get on, great to share some recent updates. Uh, busy is a very good thing. Uh, so as of uh, early in this year, you're right, we have a resolution to the New York case. Uh, the short answer is that merchants can now pass on their credit card fees in New York so long as they make the required consumer disclosure. Uh, and James, you and I had the chance to correspond about this a little bit. Right. Uh, I've been calling that a qualified victory. Right. And I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, the background here is that the issue of no surcharge laws went to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, and as you know, Cardex actually contributed a brief to that case. So we were the only company in right. payments to have a brief in that case. I thought it was very important that the justices uh, see some real-world expertise about yeah. how a product like this in the market is affecting people, and I think very positively. So we contributed a brief there, and the Supreme Court held in that case that these laws regulate protected commercial speech. Uh, so the task for the lower courts became to analyze these laws under the First Amendment, meaning see if these laws could survive First Amendment scrutiny, and that's a very high bar. Uh, so the outcome is that the New York law was significantly narrowed. Uh, at the beginning of the litigation, people were saying this is a ban on passing on your fees. That's obviously very unfavorable to people like you and me. Sure. Uh, now we know it's a consumer disclosure requirement. So my phrase is that no surcharge now in New York actually means no surprise. That's certainly a lot more favorable than where we began. Right. Uh, that opens up the New York market, market uh, in point of fact, and merchants can pass on their fees so long as they show that credit card price in dollars and cents. Uh, wherever they post their prices. Sure. So, you know, kind of following up on that, you know, do you feel like at this point, I know you guys have rolled it out in New York and, and you put some really good instructions on your website for merchants to, to follow these, uh, you know, these requirements. But I mean, let's be honest, these requirements are, in fact, pretty uh, cumbersome, right? I mean, are merchants really going to yes, do this? Absolutely. Are you seeing a lot of merchants actually embracing that's this and they're going to do it? Question. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. That really goes to the heart of why I call it a qualified victory because I think it's far easier to adopt in some verticals than others. So sure. if you're a large merchant, so think about a big box retailer, thousands of SKUs on the shelves. Uh, it's definitely going to be more involved to tag each of those twice on the shelf. Uh, that probably is on the less feasible end of the spectrum. Right. But where it's very feasible and where we're actually seeing it quite a bit, think about moto and e-commerce merchants sure. who typically present their prices on an invoice. That's a much easier place to add that credit card price. So definitely some of those verticals, perhaps we could get into which those verticals are, but definitely there are some places where we expect to see a lot of adoption in New York, and we, and we already are seeing that adoption. And just to zoom out a little bit, I realize that we didn't we didn't actually say what it was on this uh, on this one. We've talked about it in previous podcast episodes, but make sure I'm saying this right, Jonathan. The idea is the consumer should not have to make any kind of calculation, right? So you have to have anywhere you're going to have a price listed, you have to have two prices. You have to have the cash price and the credit card price. So you can't say we're going to add 3.99%. You have to say the cash price is $100, the credit card price is 103.99. Is that is that an accurate description? That is exactly right. They need to see on the shelf or on the invoice, cash price is $100, credit card price is $103.50. That's what it'll be with our product. And no math is allowed. That's the phrase, which is, I think is kind of interesting. By the way, when this was in the Supreme Court, uh, Chief Justice Roberts said, isn't that kind of condescending to assume the American consumer can't do simple math? But that's where we ended up, at least for now. So that's yeah, it's on. funny. I actually read it. Uh, I read the brief this morning in preparation for our, uh, uh, or the opinion rather, of uh, Justice Roberts this morning in preparation for the interview. And it's actually one thing that really struck me is interesting is that I feel like his entire opinion was predicated on it's unconstitutional to 
to dictate to the merchant how they're able to communicate the two different prices to the consumer. And yet it seems to me that New York basically passed a law doing exactly that or, or whatever they call it. You know, they isn't isn't that right? I mean, I was kind of confused about how are they able to do that based on Justice Roberts opinion? And do you think it's going to go back to well, the Supreme Court or, you know, no, that's a fin- Yeah, that's a fantastic question. Uh, I'll tell you this. The law firm that led the lawsuit, meaning sued on behalf of the plaintiffs, right. does not have plans to appeal and does not have plans to sue in any of the other states. Uh, so perhaps if people continue to work on it, and we're working on the remainder of six states, perhaps we can discuss that later, uh, yeah. we don't think that law firm is going to take it there. But I don't view it as a, as a door that's completely closed. Let's just simply put it that way. Sure. Now, to your point about Justice Roberts, you know, I'll just put it at a high level because uh, I don't want your listeners to be as bored as I was in law school. <laughs> but sure. uh, let's put it this way. It's a lot harder from a constitutional perspective to tell businesses they cannot say something that's truthful mm-hmm. than it is to tell them they must say something. So where the New York law ended up is it's no longer a prohibition. Rather, it's a disclosure requirement. You have to say the credit card price in dollars and cents. So that's the way in which it was deemed to be constitutional. And that's why we have the law in its current form. Uh, Jonathan, I just and, and 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 pardon me if I'm sounding ignorant here, but just one thing that strikes me: you talked about it being easier um, in an e-commerce environment. So, if I'm if I'm a consumer and I'm going onto a website to buy something, right? I'm gonna presumably, well, I guess I would could pay for it with my debit card, in which case the tr- surcharge would not be. Is that is that sort of why how they would? set up that price, okay, I'm looking at a widget online, right? I want to buy that widget for a dollar. Yeah, well, the widget would say, uh, the widget would say under it, I'll just use the example of a $10 price. Yeah, sure. Uh, It would say on the website, uh, $10 cash, $10.35 for credit. And it would say that right under that image of the... And the the cash price would be Uh, the debit card price then, right? Because I'm not... Exactly right. Right, okay, okay. Right. Thank you. I just and, need and to by make the way, sure. To get even more concrete, oh, oh, certainly. And to get even more concrete about some of the places where we've seen this quite a bit, uh, think about B two B transactions like mm-hmm. wholesale distribution, sure. uh, professional services like right. law, medical, accounting, mm-hmm. or also home contractors. Those are great spaces for surcharging. Generally speaking, sure. those have also been uh, easy ones in New York as well. Very easy. You know, you imagine the guy comes to your house for plumbing. Right. And he usually just actually quotes the price to you. So it's going to be a thousand dollars. Sure. In this case, you would say thousand. If you want to use credit, it's going to be a thousand thirty-five, and then you would comply with that New York law. Okay. Yeah, and so I think the big takeaway here, Jonathan, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that retail, whether it's online or you know, at the store, the concept of when you have these verticals where they have to list many, many prices for all the different things they sell, that's a case where this law could be considered a lot more cumbersome, where there's an easy implementation is where it's not about all the listed prices they have. They have very simple things they're charging by the hour or they're charging by the job or whatever it is, and they're just giving a bid and an invoice, usually maybe even more towards larger ticket. And it sounds like those verticals are the ones where this was a huge win for them in in the state of New York, right? I completely agree. I think it all has to do, if you're in retail, I think some are doing it in retail. We do have clients in New York in retail. It all depends on the number of SKUs on the shelves. Right. The yep. more and more SKUs you have, the more involved it is to pack sure. all twice. Okay. So, so let's talk about these other states. You, you actually brought it up in the la- uh, just a minute ago. So I know we touched on the other big states. It's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, you know, Texas, it's good. Florida, it's good. Um, California. California. Talk to me about that for just a second. So I, I was reading about that, again, kind of preparing, and I, I saw some information about, you know, really the, the you know, ban was rolled back, but only for the five merchants that had submitted it or whatever. Talk to me about California. What's the status there? You know, that's a, that's a very interesting question. We got the same question from Cardfellow, if you know them. They do good content yep. marketing, yep. and they reached out mm-hmm. because they wanted to understand that. Uh, and we're definitely serving all merchants in California, and here's the reason why. So as a technical feature uh, of an as-applied challenge, so now I'm putting the law school hat back on, sure. right? Uh, that case only goes so far as those merchants who sue, the plaintiffs, okay. and their pricing practice. So... The guidance that the Attorney General of California is giving, and similarly what we are saying, is that that precedent is authoritative and controlling only if your pricing practice, meaning what you want to do in the state of California, matches the facts of that case. You're doing the same thing that those plaintiffs in Italian colors were doing. So for our solution... 100%. 100%. It matches one-to-one. Right. You're doing exactly what, what they are do. doing. Charge right. a fee to credit. Yeah, charge a fee to credit. 
no more than what you pay to accept a credit card. Don't charge to debit. Have signage at the point of sale, signage in the store entrance. You do all those things, that's authoritative and controlling precedent. If it's a different program with different things going on, that would actually be perhaps evaluated on its own terms and may not be compliant in California. Got it. Okay. So as, but as long as it mirrors what they're doing, um, what, the, what the court asserted to in the California case, uh, it doesn't matter if they're not one of those Absolutely. five merchants. Okay, got it. Okay, yeah, that, makes, that would be that controlling makes sense. precedent, 100%. <clears throat> sure, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll just say this at a high level. I mean, you already see, uh, first of all, we do not expect any of our reps or any of our merchants uh, to know these things cold, right? Of course, no of course one not. to give you that answer if you ask them, except for me. We want to be experts so they don't have to be, mm-hmm. right? So we just want to give them that product that, in a turnkey fashion, automatically achieves compliance. And you sort of see that, look, we have this different set of results with California, Florida, and Texas on the one hand, the laws are unconstitutional, Mm -hmm. as compared to New York on the other hand, Mm -hmm. the law survives, but in a narrower form as a consumer disclosure requirement, that basically guarantees that at least for the foreseeable future, this space is going to be about compliance, 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 because you have these different results, different state situations. So the ground level bet that we made, and I think it's paying off, is that the winners in this space from a sales perspective, a technology perspective, those are going to be the providers and the salespeople that can make getting compliant easier or even automatic for merchants who want to use products like these. That's sort of our our ground level commitment, if that makes sense. Sure. Sure. Perfect sense. Yeah. So, okay. So let's talk about the other states for a second. So we've got, and you you know them better than I do. What is it? You have Kansas, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Colorado, and Maine. Is that right? I can only only do it. It's my uh, mnemonic tool. I can only (laughs) do it in alphabetical order. Okay. So it's it's Colorado, Connecticut, Colorado. it's Colorado, Connecticut, Kansas, Massachusetts, Maine, and Oklahoma. There you go. Okay. I missed Oklahoma. Uh, I was so so right. what, what's going on in the what's going on in the yeah. smaller states there? And believe it or not, we're actually starting with Oklahoma, which is the last in that uh, alphabetical <laughs> order. So those sure. are the six states that have no surcharge laws currently on the books. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, and I will tell you, as I mentioned previously, the firm that sued on behalf of plaintiffs in the four states where we already have legal decisions, does not plan to file further lawsuits. So we actually view this as, a, as an important opportunity for us to continue leading this regulatory strategy. Sure. So what we are doing uh, is actually seeking opinion letters or comfort letters in those remaining mm-hmm. six states that currently sure. have those laws on the books. Uh, so we will make an announcement when those have been completed. Uh, it's a pretty exciting opportunity. You know, it's historic. So yeah. we're, we think it's special. We're, we're excited to so bring the, that to you and to some others when that's done. And what would just just so, for our listeners, because um, I I didn't go to law school either. Um, when you talk about comfort le- letters, so what are you talking about? Getting an opinion from the state attorney general or the banking department or what? That that's a great question. Uh, each state actually has its own protocol. Uh, for seeking an advisory opinion or an opinion letter or a comfort letter. So that actually differs from state to state. But the the key outcome for us is to have a document from an authority in that state, whether it's the authority that enforces the law, the authority that interprets it, that gives us and our merchants and our sales partners uh, the confidence to bring a solution like this into that state market. Uh, And, you know, it's actually much more than simply sending a letter and you get something back because actually it really requires open dialogue with, let's mm-hmm. say, an attorney's general's office. So you're actually contacting them, potentially even sitting down in person, uh, and explaining to them why is this a good thing to bring to, let's say, the business community in Oklahoma, and also why is this a good thing for the consumers in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as part of that dialogue, we hope to get a document that will give us the confidence to bring our solution to Oklahoma. And by the way, we do think it's a very good thing. Uh, We know merchants have to save money. We know merchant costs keep going up. But also, why is it a good thing for consumers? Well, you may have seen this Wall Street Journal article that just came out that Visa and MasterCard are looking to raise rates again, uh, especially on rewards credit cards. So you tell me, if you're a merchant and you don't have the option to pass on the fee when someone chooses that rewards credit card, what do you do? You actually raise your prices on all consumers. And that means even the people choosing cash and debit are paying more so that maybe I can get great points. It doesn't seem fair. Uh, yeah. So that's actually one of the reasons why these dialogues are a very, very important product, uh, project, rather, and a very important part, better stated, of this project of seeking these uh, opinion letters. And then presumably also, I guess what you're saying is, is that these opinions, you know, 
can kind of change and morph or or take on lives of their own over time, and that's why you need to be constantly in communication with these officials, right? I mean, constantly. There's that political waves. There's, thing you said. Right, you're right, exactly. Okay. One hundred percent. No, I mean that might be why the law firm is very excited to be working on it. Look, it's an important project right? for us too, but this <laughs> sure. is this is not a one-time milestone. Right. right. This is actually really an ongoing commitment. And you've seen it already. It's a complex picture, and it's, it's an evolving picture. That's part of why we think in the market we've seen a lot of people who are looking to partner with a company that really knows the stuff well, meaning they want to outsource compliance. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to continue seeing that because you're right. We're going to have ongoing legal overhead in order to maintain that picture. And if I may just say, you know, part of why this – this project that we are doing of seeking these opinion letters is important. Obviously, each one of those states is important to us. But another thing that's important is all 50 states. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And just for your listeners, I want to just say a word about that. Why is 50 such an important number, and why is it different in kind from 49? You know, I mentioned we were in the Supreme Court. When we were there, the other amici in the case included a number of major merchants, you know, from Spirit Airlines, Kroger, Walgreens and Home Depot and Best Buy, these are some of the biggest merchants in the country. And they were saying, we are very interested in this pricing model, but we also want a nationwide pricing strategy. Mm -hmm. They want their pricing to be the same in all the states where they do business. So when we have all 50 states, and that's really the upshot of this opinion letter project we're working on very actively, you are going to see a number of category leaders jump in. And that's going to contribute a lot of momentum to passing on the credit card fee. That's why in Australia, uh, 60% of large merchants are surcharging, even more common among enterprise merchants there than right. the typical merchant. Yeah. So we think we're going to see something very similar in the United States. Let me, you know, I want to get into some things that are going to be, you know, uh, practical stuff for the sales agents. And I have a few questions for you along those lines. Uh-huh. But but one thing, I, just a technical question I had for you that I had thought of um, so one of the challenges that agents and ISOs have faced with cash discounting and surcharging programs is a lack of integration with point-of-sale systems and things. And I was just kind of curious. I hadn't mentioned that to you before. We hadn't talked about it. But I'm just curious. Do you have any thoughts on that as far as obviously there's an extra step here because a POS provider would need to do some kind of a pre-authorization or something to check and see if it's a check card or credit card, then add the service fee if, you know, if allowable or compliant. Um, any thoughts about that? Any progress being made as far as you know integrating with you know Micros and Aloha and you know some of these big POS systems? Uh, well, we're actually talking to some. I don't want to name names yet because sure. the products aren't out. Uh, but we are talking to some of those POS providers. Uh, we successfully completed a great product with Verifone, so we brought our pricing technology to Verifone terminals. Right. Uh, and there are some others that we're looking at strategically in terms of the hardware strategy. You're right. Uh, no question about it. Surcharging has more compliance overhead than right. cash discount. That's probably the biggest reason why you saw people, uh, perhaps in, in greater numbers at a certain point of time, I think it is changing, yeah. uh, go to cash discount. Sure. Because it was just, the, I think, the, the path of least resistance. There was the same level of compliance overhead. Yeah. Sure. Now you, I think you are seeing things change because the car brands are saying, uh-uh, what you thought may be a loophole is not actually a loophole. You do have to comply with those rules. But that point aside, you're right that that pricing technology – uh, has to be on any hardware device right. that uh, you want to have a compliant surcharge program on. And so what we've done is we've made our pricing technology available as an API service. So really That's easy to integrate. Ask. Of course, it is some sure. work. Yeah, it's not like doing nothing. But oh, right. uh, I think great APIs can actually great. really make a lot of progress. Awesome. Sure. So, so if, there's a, if there's an ISV, and we have a lot of ISVs that listen into our podcast. So if there's an ISV out there that's like, oh, we have the software, we want to add surcharging, you guys do have the API where if they put the work in the development time in, they could make code that would reach out and find out if it's a, if it's a card that you know is, is able to be surcharged, is what you're saying. Exactly right, 100%. Great, mm-hmm. awesome. Okay, so well, let's shift gears a little bit. So um, I want to talk about a couple things with, with kind of the sales side. So one thing I've been hearing, you know, as you know, I talk to 30, 40 sales agents a week, and uh, so I get a lot of kind of news from the feed on the street. And I'm really hearing this kind of momentum shift where whether it's cash discounting or surcharging, the concept of passing the cost onto the consumer does seem to be gaining some momentum as far as merchants are hearing about it and they're knowing about it. And I just want to get your take on that. I mean, are you seeing that shift as well, or are you still seeing this as a really long marathon before merchants are are aware of and accepting this concept? Oh, no, 100%. Uh, we are definitely seeing that momentum. Uh, we see it in mm-hmm. our own Exciting. sales. Uh, we see a much higher comfort level when we talk to merchants for the first time, meaning they know about the option. 
they are more accepting of the idea that their consumers will stay with them if they pass on the credit card fee, and it's going to continue to accelerate as well. By the way, this is actually why we welcome good competition. Uh, the more people in this space, the more merchants are hearing about it and getting comfortable. Right. So right now, mm -hmm. at this moment, more competition is actually expanding that pie for all of us, sure. uh, and it's going to keep accelerating. You know, I just oh, yeah. I mentioned previously, uh, merchant costs are going up; they keep going up. Uh, there was a piece that came out even that said Durban, they capped the cost of debit, but the dues and assessments are going up. There are always going to mm. be price increases. Always. So marg in addition to that, margins for traditional processing are going down. So mm -hmm. merchants want to use it. Industry wants to sell it. Uh, we have a lot of tailwinds for those reasons. That's not changing anytime soon. But another prediction I have similarly is that as this gets bigger and bigger, you are going to see more enforcement. So as this becomes more and more common, and as market demand goes up, it's also going to be more of a priority for the brands and other stakeholders to devote resources towards enforcing the rules. So you are going to see more enforcement come with it as well, which just sort of highlights, again, that, that need to do it the right way. Sure, and let's let's talk about the enforcement a little bit. So <clears throat> I want to talk about Visa. I know, and again, obviously we could throw MasterCard into the mix as well, but you know, Visa is the one that had the bulletin out, and <clears throat> they've been pretty forceful against cash discounting or what they would call uh, non-compliant client surcharge programs. Um, you know, they fought surcharging pretty much all the way to the Supreme Court. And I mean, no, I know they didn't. I know it was New York. But, you know, Visa obviously is not a big fan of consumers having uh, friction when they try to use their card. <clears throat> Do you feel like Visa is kind of staying out of the surcharge battle or are they still in some way involved in kind of rooting for these state remaining state bans to kind of stay because they don't want to see that big number five zero come up because they know of that that shift or is Visa kind of resigned to their fate in this matter, you think? Well, that's a, that's a very interesting uh, point you raise. And I would first say I agree with the premise. 100% they've come out forcefully. Uh, we're seeing a big push for compliance. You may have heard this too, James, that we have ISOs and agents come to us on a regular basis. I'm talking multiple per week sure. that specifically say we were selling cash discount and our existing processor told us no more. The card brands view these as non-compliant surcharge programs, so you have to now comply right. with the surcharge rules. So they need help getting compliant. So this is happening a lot, and I think it's going to keep happening. Uh, so to your point, you, you mentioned Visa did not uh, participate in this Supreme Court case. And actually one thing that I would uh, put out there, they actually recently introduced the option to surcharge in Canada as well. Yeah. So in some way there actually is some baseline comfort Mm -hmm. uh, among the brands for surcharging. So just recently, as part of a settlement, they're giving Canadian businesses, every business in every province, the same option that now American businesses have to pass on their, their credit card fees in the form of a surcharge. So there's some level of comfort there. And here's why I would say they have that level of comfort. Uh, I think there's a material difference from their perspective between surcharging and cash discounting. And what is it? Surcharging requires no fee to debit. And cash discount programs have been charging maybe 4% to a debit card. Mm -hmm. So cash discount, unlike surcharging, cash discount has the, the potential to steer volume to cash. Uh, whereas if you're using a surcharge product, maybe customers switch from credit to debit to pay no fee, but Visa still makes their dues and assessments. Mm -hmm. So actually, I, in fact, I co-presented with Visa in, in, in November of this, uh, right. this past year yeah. at a conference with one of the big acquirers. And, you know, yeah, 100%. And uh, by the way, it is a good thing. I would tell you this. As as between the two options, getting support from the brands or not getting support from the brands, I'm telling you, I'm telling the listeners, you do want to have that support. Uh, it, it's, it goes to that phrase, you know, it's easier to change your sales than to change the wind. You know what I mean? Right. So we have valued that support. And I'm not sure. saying that 100% of the time our interests are aligned with theirs. And, and no one should expect 100% of, of the time your interests sure. are aligned with everybody's. But one area of very common interest for us and the brands and everyone on this phone call is that there are certain verticals they cannot get into, meaning credit card acceptance just does not happen right. unless you have an option to pass on the fee. Sure. So I mentioned some like B2B wholesale distribution where gross right. margins are 3%. The merchant is not going to bear the cost of a corporate credit card. Right. So we're actually growing acceptance in those verticals. Merchants are offering credit cards for the first time yeah. because they have the ability to pass on the fee. So the brands really like that net new volume for sure. Oh, that's great. Great information, John. So so let's do this. You know, obviously you shared a ton of amazing information here and we'll get some contact info in a second. But before we do that, I, I do want to get a little bit of advice from you to kind of let's zoom out looking at the a big picture now that we've, you know, kind of talked about the details of all of it. So there's two groups of people that I talk to all the time. <clears throat> um, 
The first one would be agents and ISOs who they just still haven't bought into this core concept of pass the cost on to the consumer. You know, it's like, no, 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 I can't do that. Maybe they feel like it's a, it's just a money grab. It, you know, consumers are not going to accept it at scale, whatever, you know, whatever their, their, their concern is. I know you talk to them all the time. PR nightmare. Right. Yeah. What, what's your advice to these people? What do you, what would you tell them about kind of how things are shifting and why you believe it's, it's time to, to at least be aware of and, and consider offering these programs? Well, I love that question. I love the opportunity to, to talk to people who maybe have not been comfortable yet jumping in. Uh, so I would tell them this if they're still skeptical. Uh, your merchants, meaning the ones that are currently in your portfolio, for the same reasons that James and I were just talking about, this is growing in momentum. It's accelerating. People are hearing about it. So your current merchants are hearing about this option from someone in the market. So if nothing else, I would give yourself this tool in the toolbox. So if a current account asks you for it, at least you have something for them and you don't lose that account to somebody else. Uh, so try it out that way. And then if that merchant is very happy, and I hope they will be, the next thing I want you to consider is, and even if you're not comfortable yet selling it in every vertical, try it out in some of the verticals like the ones I mentioned, yeah. like insurance or mm -hmm. wholesale distribution or professional services, where they're not taking cards today because of the cost. So it doesn't matter how low you write the markup. You could write it at interchange plus zero and zero. They won't do it. Right. So if you sign them with this solution, that's net new volume. So those are a couple sure. ways to get started. So the group that maybe is still skeptical and wants to warm up a little bit, those are ways to try it out that uh, I think everyone agrees are positive. Sure. So, yeah, and that's really good information. I, I the the other group too, though, that we got to talk to, right? Is there's this big group you've already talked mentioned them before. Those who have been selling cash discounting for two months, six months, twelve months, whatever it is, uh, these programs where uh, they're adding the service fee to debit cards as well as credit cards, and as you mentioned, they're starting to get these notices. And there was actually a really big shift in the market even this week with uh, some of the larger companies starting to put pressure on on largest uh, the largest ISOs I know that are doing this. And so some big changes happening there. Obviously, they're looking for advice. What do I do? You know, I, I can't sell cash discounting anymore. I have to do a compliance surcharge program. What would you tell them? What's your advice of kind of making that that transition? Well, 100%, I think the transition is happening. Uh, not only from that pressure from acquirers, but also you think about it. I mentioned 60% of large merchants in Australia surcharge, but to my knowledge, I'm not aware of any cash discounts in Australia. Right. So when you think about it, cash discount actually might be kind of an outlier when we take a step back and we think about the long term and the way this is most commonly done. And I think the most common way to do it is surcharging. And why is that? Because people want to tell their customers it's perfectly fine to choose a credit card, but there's a cost associated with it. And if you choose credit, I would like to ask you to bear that cost. So I think that's the framing that makes a lot of sense to a lot of people. Uh, so I think it's an easy evolution. So you ask me, the people making that transition, there are a right. lot of them. Uh, how should they get their arms around it? Well, one, they know they have to get compliant. Those cash discount programs that are out there were just masquerading as cash discount. They were really surcharges. So they have to get their arms around compliance. So first of all, I don't even say cash discount or surcharging to merchants. I say passing on the credit card fee. Mm -hmm. I think it's a right. great framing. Of course, that, that's what they understand. Fee. So those are absolutely, and those are both forms of passing on the credit card fee. Right. So you don't even have to tell them these technical words. Just tell them there's new guidance out there. Uh, we're putting you on a product that automatically complies. They automatically get registered by us. The products automatically identify debit and charge no fee in every environment. Uh, and if they're with us, uh, they're going to get something new, too. So if you want to sweeten it, tell them, well, actually, we're now going to start sending you an automated email. James, I don't think I've uh, shared this with you before, but one of the things that we do at Cardex is every time a merchant gets a deposit to their bank account, right then we fire off an automated email that tells them how much they saved. So you imagine you had a batch nice. fund to your account today, and you get an email that says, today you saved $300 with Cardex, or whatever the case may be. Right. So that's a great sales and retention touch point. So those are some of the things that you can use to, to make that a very smooth transition. I think it will be. Uh, and just uh, from a recommendation, I do recommend people, perhaps the few who have not started making this transition yet, I really encourage them to think about it. Because the more processors start shutting down these cash discount programs, we've seen a lot already, just like you were referencing, mm -hmm. uh, the fewer places that one day you could sell a portfolio of cash discount accounts. So if you ever want to sell your portfolio, if you think it's valuable to have that exit opportunity, 
I would be thinking about making this transition and also for the sake of retention. So those are some of the words of advice. That yeah, I'm it's actually interesting you bring that up. Our interview uh, from last week, actually, that hasn't aired at the point of this, you know, what we're talking to you today. Um, but when people are listening to this, the last week is Denise Shomo from Cutter Financial. And she was talking about exactly that, that they, they won't do a buyout on a cash discount portfolio right now. Mm. Um, you know, they're starting to look at starting to look at surcharging because, you know, there's a little more of a history there. But with cash discount, it's like, you know, it's just too, uh, too up in the air. They don't know sure. what's going to happen with it or the margin's going to be cut by 40 <clears throat> percent. You know, they just they have no idea what's going to happen. And so they're not doing buyouts on it yet. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, that's really interesting. Right. Hey, Very let, me, interesting. let me throw one last question out to you. And then I want to get some contact info for people that are interested. Um, kind of a curveball. I want to get my opinion on it. And then I'd like to, to hear yours in, in response. But something as I was reading the the brief this morning from Justice Roberts and looking at different things in New York and all that, you know, this this differentiation between the debit and the credit and, you know, not allowing the merchant to do a surcharge on debit. First of all, as I understand it, that restriction comes entirely from Visa. There's no laws or, or you know, even state laws that differentiate between the two car types and being able to add a, a surcharge to both um, and, you know, in, in the ruling that basically said it's a violation of free speech to tell the merchant that they can't, uh, you know, charge more for credit. I'm just kind of curious, what are your thoughts on how that plays out? Is there going to be a point potentially where, okay, now all 50 merchants are allow all 50 states are allowing surcharging is the next thing going to be, so why can't we do it on debit? And it's actually going to come full circle for those that love cash discounting mm-hmm. because they can do it on all cards and it is a simpler pricing model. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Do you have any thoughts on how that might play out and, and, and you know, what your thoughts would be on the effect to the merchant in that situation? Well, I think it's a fantastic question. I, I got to tell you, I love curveballs. Uh, so we were just having this <laughs> I know conversation because do. we're going to be doing a, <laughs> a panel at uh, Southeast Acquires. And I was saying I love a robust Q&A. We have to have great dynamic <laughs> right. discussion. So uh, to, I, I actually predict something a little bit different. I agree with you that when it's in all 50 states, there's going to be continued regulatory movement after that point. Right. And I actually think what you might see is once surcharging is in all 50 states, you actually might see – states starting to pass laws about doing it the right way. So in some sense, you could see laws in the state that actually backstop some of what you are accurately saying right now are just card brand rules. So Visa, MasterCard tell us we can't charge fees to debit cards. You might start seeing states start to pass laws like that as well. Hmm. One example of that, not a lot of people know, Minnesota has a law that's a disclosure law, not like New York. Minnesota's law actually just kind of backstops the card brand rules, the same disclosure hmm. required by the card brands is required by the state of Minnesota. You wow. might see a lot more of that. And actually, that's a little bit like Australia, where they've been very permissive on surcharging, but as it's grown and grown and grown, there have been laws that definitely permit it, but are saying, here's the right way to do it. So yeah, mm-hmm. I sure. think you might see that as well. Oh, huh. well, that's, that's, that's very, interesting. very yeah. interesting stuff. So Jonathan, uh, last thing here, of course, I'm sure many people are listening saying, you know, how do I reach out to Jonathan? So um, how do they get in, cu- in touch with CardX if it's an ISO or an agent looking to learn more about your programs? Yeah, so we have great resources at Cardex.com, uh, so please come on, and in the footer, there's an email for getting in touch with the team that supports our sales partners, but also please connect with us on LinkedIn, uh, connect with me personally, shoot me a message, uh, and I think I just referenced, we're going to be at uh, Southeast Acquirers, so if any of the listeners happen to be there, uh, we are doing a panel with some other very good people for the general session, actually, so awesome. please come, and we look forward to meeting in person. Sounds Excellent. great. Well, Jonathan, thank you so much for your time. Always appreciate your expertise in this matter. It's uh, always a huge benefit to our listeners. Yeah, you've really put things into perspective well, for, for us. Me. Thanks. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983 always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. Okay, here's a sign that Merchant Services has entered the big time. J.D. Power & Associates, you know, the marketing information services firm, has announced its first ever Merchant Services Satisfaction Study. Wow. And according to the study, large banks are leading the pack in terms of satisfaction. Really? Yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Okay. Uh, According to Paul McAdams, Senior Director of Banking Intelligence at J.D. Power, Overall uh, satisfaction with merchant service providers is strong, but he added uh, there remains room for improvement, particularly as it relates to helping merchants understand pricing and in providing consistent technology, training, and support. 
Oh, so they're, they're getting technology they don't know how to use. You got mm. it. That, that doesn't surprise and, me. And that doesn't surprise me <laughs> either, you know. So the study, it evaluated small business satisfaction with 19 of the largest merchant services providers. Okay. There were four bank acquirers evaluated, BB&T, Cap One, and Chase. Additionally, the study looked at four banks that partner with First Data, B of A, Citibank, PNC, and Wells Fargo. Then it looked at four fintech providers, Intuit, PayPal, Square, and Visa, which I thought was an interesting one to look at Visa as a merchant services provider. Huh. Which it technically isn't, is but, right. you know, I think uh, that also says something about the competitive yeah. lay of the land. I mean, because a lot That's of times there have been suggestions that Visa might acquire acquire Eventually a big acquirer yeah. or well something i know like that, that i know visa ha, uh, has stakes in companies sure. that do this yeah, yeah. of course so, that's so, interesting you know so it yeah. yeah and it had a stake didn't it have a stake in first data or one yeah. of those yeah yeah while, well, sure. right yeah. yeah yeah i thought it was first data anyway they also evaluated nine scale providers elevon first american payment systems first data fis the uh combined global payments heartland north american Bancard, tesis and the combined world pay vantage. Yeah, wow. Yeah, that's definitely the big so heavy the, hitters. Yeah, the, the heavy hitters, right? Okay. So the study explored key variables that influence customer, customer choice, satisfaction, and loyalty. And they based this around four factors. Those factors, in order of importance, were cost of service, service interactions, payment processing, and equipment and technology. Okay. Well, this is going to be really interesting. I'm yeah. excited to hear this. Yeah, so here are some of the key findings. Banks outperform both fintechs and scale providers. On a peer group basis, merchant services offerings from bank acquirers have the highest levels of overall satisfaction, scoring, uh, scoring 863 out of a possible 1,000 points. So what we're, just to clarify, so we're talking about like PNC Bank the PNC merchant services. We're talking about right. their their own department providing merchant services to their right. customers. In, their in partnership with, for, you know. Whoever. Whoever. Right. Oh, very interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, okay. So, so but now, um, but in terms of the bank acquirers, I think they're, they're really talking about the banks that go out and do it by themselves because right. they said the joint venture people, yeah. so that would be the PNC, right. scored 847. Out okay, of a thousand. So pretty close. Pretty close, but the um, scale processors were eight hundred and six. Eight hundred and six, and that's, that's a significant. That's a difference. significant dip, I thought. You know. Sure, and th I can't say that really surprises me, especially the companies on the list they just gave there without sure. getting too specific. Obviously, right? There's, but you know, you know. <laughs> yeah. And and there's some interesting things that they said about this. You know, for example, banks uh, benefit from having deeper customer relationships. Sure. You know, small businesses that get merchant services from their banks tend to uh, have deeper relationships and are more likely to be contacted by the banks about their payment needs. Really? Yeah. See, I, I wonder about that. I, I wonder how much of it is perception, too. Like, one of the things that's interesting about these studies to me is mm -hmm. kind of like, like, I think I brought it up before on the podcast, but, you know, they did a study that was so funny to me of um, they called and asked how, what percentage of people watched PBS in the last, like, you know, 30 days. And more people said that did it than did it, right? Right, because the reality is it was very few, but in, but everybody was like, well, of course I watch of PBS. Of course. Because they want it. So I wonder how much of that, too, because I'm sure it plays a role of, like, you know, if somebody asked me, I don't know, something about my bank, it's like, well, that's my bank. I don't want right? to say anything bad about my bank. Yeah, they're and fine. It's also sort of like, you know, as a small business person myself, you right. know, I remember for a long time doing business with Nations Bank. Right. Okay, sure. But I couldn't get merchant services from from Nations Bank. Right. I ended up having to get it from Unified Merchant Services, which of course sure. was part of yeah. Nations Bank, but it yeah. wasn't really Nations Bank. And see the other thing too, it's interesting. I, I would imagine merchants would look at uh if you look at merchant services by itself it probably has, by its nature, a lower satisfaction rate than banking services. Right. When you have a bank and you're combining the two, even though I'm sure the questions were like, how do you like the processing? It's about the bank. It's about the banking and the processing. It's that kind of, the banking side kind of brings their processing satisfaction up, too. I think, and I think that that's... And that's that, to me, that goes to an interesting trend, though. I bet, I bet what, you know, what I would have been really interested in mm -hmm. is a segment of... If you look at the scale providers, segment the ones who have a technology solution like a point of sale system 
versus ones who have just traditional processing. I bet the satisfaction would be higher. Would be higher with, with the, the technology. technology because it's the same thing. It's right. there's there's these other things besides processing. Right. That's like calling and saying, "How much do you like your electric company?" Well, I don't know. It's my electric company. Right. Like, you know, but it's like, how much do you like the company that provides your you know cable service or whatever? Like, there's more value there. Exactly. So yeah. anyway, yeah. No, it's an interesting and so. Yeah. You know, the proportions of small businesses that use other financial and businesses, business services from their merchant service providers are strikingly different by peer group, um, which I thought was interesting. 97% among those using banks, okay, that they use more than just payment services. Okay. Uh, compared to 75% for fintechs and 52% for scale providers. Yeah, that makes sense because I mean a lot of the scale providers just don't provide any other services. Right, and I think you know it says we've talked a lot about this on the podcast, and, mm-hmm. and we talked about it um, in um, in a couple of our recent interviews. Yeah, you know about the need you know to, for building relationships beyond simply sure. card acceptance. Right? right, right. Okay, here's another thing: technology engagement, as we said, drives higher satisfaction rates. You know, satisfaction is mm-hmm. higher for new technologies. Uh, like cloud-based POS systems and mobile card readers, sure. Than it is for um, you know with more traditional established technologies like countertop, of course, devices, right? right? And payment gateways. Here's an important point: small businesses, small business satisfaction with equipment and tech increases the more these are used beyond simple payment processing. Mm. So. You know, it's particularly high among businesses using tools associated with inventory and sales tax management. There you go. And employee payroll. And so this is what we were just talking about a second ago. Just, just so what we were talking so about. So cool that they actually did this. That this they actually neat. did this, you yeah. know. And, uh, and you know, and we've talked, like I said, I think, who was it? Uh, I think it was Robert from SimPay that we interviewed a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And he was talking about how they often advise their guys to lead with payroll. Because, right. you right. know, it's a... It's a bigger, sure, more, bigger hook. more, more value, more right, right. sure. Right? So um, here's another interesting thing: e-commerce merchants are among the most satisfied merchant services customers. And you know what's funny? I, I as soon as you said that, in my mind, I'm like, well, yeah, that's because there's not the competition. Yeah. And so they're not going. You know, I think I think so much of the pain in our industry for the merchant and the dissatisfaction is is an unavoidable consequence of a very competitive industry mm-hmm. where they're switching a lot. Yeah. And that is the least fun thing to do is to switch. Right. And it's also the time when you're pointing out. So as an industry, our whole industry is predicated on pointing out the weaknesses of our competitors mm-hmm. constantly, mm-hmm. like constantly. weekly. Yeah. Every, as a, as a business owner, every week someone's calling you to tell you that your current company is, is, is screwing, screwing you. you. And like, that's supposed to be good. And that, and that plants a seed though in your mind Whereas the e-commerce yeah. world, they don't have that. They don't have it exactly. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, huh. so uh, small businesses that primarily sell online uh, have higher satisfaction rates, eight hundred and forty-nine out of a possible thousand points. Um, brick and mortar stores, it's eight hundred and nine. That's a big difference. That is a big difference. That's a huge difference. And you know, and uh, you know, the the thought there again is the satisfaction, a uh, greater satisfaction. With technology. Yeah. Because they're technology solutions. Well, and when you talk about e-commerce, too, it's like once you set up e-commerce, I think people don't – the big challenge with e-commerce selling it is people don't understand how hard it is to switch. Right. You know, once you plug a gateway into your system, to your website or whatever, I mean – You're golden. You know, what's – what's yeah. Yeah. So uh, lower satisfaction with cost of service hurts scale processors the most. Mm. Uh, J.D. Powers analysts suggested this may be because – you know, a lot of these scale providers, you know, they uh, don't have necessarily direct control over the pricing. Sure. You know, I think that's a, a big deal. So, um, huh. so, yeah. So that's... Uh, that is really... So to me, so many things about that that really kind of stand out. But to me, the biggest one is the idea, like we've talked about before, of cross-selling. Yeah. And so it's like... So it, important. It's not just about the extra money you make from the POS system or whatever. It's about the attrition. Well, like, you know, like we were saying, I think it was in our interview with Obi Rawls, um, where we said, you know, th- my comment, you know, the more hooks you have in the fish, the harder it is for the fish to exactly. get away. Exactly, yep. And, you know, and that's what it's about. It, and, and, and it's so much, as, as we've said before, it's so much more than pricing anymore. Yeah, um, yeah. That you have to, I mean, it's about making these guys have a, you know, 
let them sleep at night. Like, you know, right. <laughs> not have to worry about absolutely every little detail of their yeah. business. Oh, wow, really good stuff. Very interesting. JD Power Associates. Yeah. Who thought, so huh? I'm 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 looking to this to uh, you know going forward. I think it'd be interesting to see. This is sort of a benchmark, I would say. For I them. agree. I agree. And it'd be interesting to see how they go forward. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Patty. Great stuff. Sure. Thank you. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. So, Patty, of course, we had the great interview with Jonathan Rossi, and so I wanted to do a follow-up because I get this question a lot from the agents, which is the very simple question of what is the difference between cash discounting and surcharging? Uh-huh. Because, you know, we get all this detailed information, but then at its roots, like, you know, what's the difference? And so I thought I would answer this question in two ways, and I'm sure you'll have some input as well. Okay. So the first way I'm going to answer it is the practical you know, big picture, what is the difference? And the difference is really simply that you don't add the service fee to debit. Right. I mean, that's really... In the, in the most simplistic sense. Right. right. In the most simplistic sense, the, and we're talking about cash discount programs as they currently exist in our industry. Right. You know, where you're adding a service fee at the counter. And so the, the you know, the big difference is that you're not adding the service fee to, to debit. Now, what does that do? Well, that does really two things. Number one it reduces the savings for the merchant. Mm -hmm. So the merchant's going to save less than they would on a cash discount with surcharge because they have to pay for the debit transactions. Sure. Right? Right. Um, The other thing that it does is, as a general rule, it's also going to um, have a lower margin, lower profit, because you are not marking up. I mean, you know, a lot of these cases with a cash discount program, they're, you you know, you're putting check cards at Mm 3.99%. Well, you know, the cost is like, you know, 50 basis 50, points or yeah, something. Right. So that's a pretty big markup. Right. Um, and you're not getting that because now you have to charge the the uh, the business owner. Um, and so, you know, the big difference is, as far as financially and everything else is that you're not adding the service fee to debit. Now, the actual kind of, you know, difference in terms of compliance and how people perceive it is that cash discounting is two things. Surcharging is one thing. Mm-hmm. Surcharging is we are adding a fee onto all the credit card transactions. Right. Cash discounting is we are doing a price increase on everything, mm-hmm. and then we are doing a discount when you pay with cash. Right. Now, the the real, all the compliance, you know, agents ask me all the time, James, what's the difference meaning, you know, what's the big deal? Why is everybody so fired up about this? Well, the all of all the compliance debates really stem from, is it still a cash discount if you don't actually change the price on the label? You know, if you're if you're doing the right. price increase at the counter, mm-hmm. then you're discounting it at the counter by waiving the fee on mm-hmm. cash discount. Is it still a discount? And the thing that I've kind of come up with lately that, that is interesting to me and why I still support cash discount programs, I also support surcharging. Mm-hmm. But the reason I support the cash discount program still is because of that little language in the Durban Amendment called the in-kind incentive. Right. It's, you know, the card brands are not allowed to prohibit anybody from doing a discount or an in-kind incentive. Mm -hmm. What did they mean by in-kind incentive? I don't know. I actually got a really good email from an agent kind of rebutting one of my videos where he said, well, an incentive is a positive thing, not a negative thing. So he said, adding a fee... Is a negative? Is a negative. I said, well, you can have a negative incentive, you know. But can't you have a double negative makes a positive? So <laughs> if you're, you know, right? adding and then taking right? it off, right? So I don't know. My whole thing is I feel like the existing cash discount programs, even though I do believe we're going to start really seeing a heavy shift away from them, um, just because of the pressure from these big acquirers and these big banks and everything, there's, uh, as, you know, we'll yeah, see. Yeah, I think we will, but I still think, there, we're, we're, I think there's a possibility we're going to see some litigation on this. Do you really? I, yeah. you know, I, I really wonder. Who do you think would would do that? Do you think that the the pro like you're talking about the processing companies or no, the merchants? Merchants. See, and I I don't know because the 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 thing is, there's merchants who currently have cash discount, 
mm-hmm. and then there's ones who don't. Right. The ones who don't don't really know about it, not very many of them. And the way that Visa's doing this is they're putting pressure to say, start selling it in a compliant way. But they're not saying if you have a cash discount, you have to switch to surcharge because they're being smart about it. I agree. I yeah, but you see, this is this is just just hear me out for yeah, a second here. Sure. Because I, and I've said this before, the fact that the Wall Street Journal and people are talking sure. about price hikes when right. they haven't talked about it before. Right. I see this. How did okay? How did they get? How did they get wind of that? You know, they got wind of that from some large merchant someplace. Of course. Right. Yeah. And large merchants especially are always looking for a way around, you know, and right. runs around the rule. Right. And I just see a large, this is, you know, yeah. maybe I'm just, you know, blowing <laughs> steam off. But I see a large merchant wanting to do it. Yeah. And not being able to get anybody to do it. And mm-hmm. then raising a stink and saying, they're not allowing me to do it because Visa. Right. Right. And therefore, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring a lot. And see, I I agree to an extent. It just I think the order of events will take a little longer. In other words, mm-hmm. I think the battle of today is surcharging. As far as the big merchants, sure. right? I agree. Right. They're the ones that are gonna bring the litigation. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no. Look at New York. It was five tiny merchants. Yes, yeah, right. But still, even in California, it was just a five, yeah, right, five medium, small guys. Right. So my my thing would be though, if you know. If I think that the big merchants in this area, I think the first challenge, like Jonathan was talking about, is let's get that 50-state surcharging. Mm-hmm. I think that comes first. Then I think once that's in place, then I think they say, wait a minute, we can't surcharge debit? That's right. Why not? Right. But the problem is that by the time that happens, Visa will have effectively stomped out most of the cash discounting programs in this industry as non-compliant. And with their rules because of the fines and everything else. Right. Like right. like uh, OB, uh, you know, we'll talk about next right. week. Yeah, as, as, he su- as he has suggested. But, right. yeah, I mean, you know, it'll be interesting. But I just I just don't believe that the merchants are going to let this one sit. And that yeah. I just – and I don't know who, it, who it's going to be. I mean, right. I don't think it's going to be a Walmart or a Target. Right, right. But maybe uh, Pizza Hut, sure, or somebody yeah. like that. Sure. That's, that's like, wait a minute. I want to do this. I want to do <clears> this, <throat> and why yeah. can't I do this? Right, sure. And yeah. and 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 you know the this and they I could see them saying, well, this bulletin is totally unrealistic in my in my in market. my market. I can't do this. I can't print. Right. I can't print ten thousand different labels. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. it'll be very it'll very, be very interesting, interesting to see how it plays out. I really the one thing I do think is, I think six months from now. I think we'll have a much clearer picture. Here's the thing. I think six months from now, there is definitely going to be some large um, processing companies, mega ISOs, still doing the cash discount programs Mm -hmm. that they've set up in in a way that they believe is compliant. Right. And so the question is going to be, as all of these other ISOs and agents get word from their company that you can't do this anymore, it's not compliant. Uh It's illegal, whatever, however they get it, however it's positioned, right? right? You know, what percentage of those people are going to say, Okay, we'll do surcharging. And what percentage are going to say, okay, we'll go find somebody else that does cash discounting? Yeah, that's what's going to determine. Uh huh. I think a big part of it. And I think we're I think we're going to see that. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think if the if the ISOs that are dropping cash discounting, if they start to see a big dip in sales and everything because people are leaving, going to other companies, or or they're just not able to sell it as effectively because of the complexity, right? Then I think they're going to say, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> maybe we yeah. made the wrong decision to, to give up on the cash discount program. Yeah, I think that's very possible too. So, yeah, I think the next six months will be uh, interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. And we'll obviously keep everybody updated as we go. Of course we will. This is James Shepard, and that was Questions from the Field. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.